It's a significant event in Scripture. And what we find in the Scriptures is really something that gives us an image of what happens to you when you are born again, when you come to life spiritually. Well, what happens in baptism really symbolizes that. It doesn't make it happen, but it is an expression of it. And it is an expression the Bible calls on us to give publicly to the fact that we are identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that's what baptism, it, it has a picture of that, right? We had this life, but we were joined to Christ and we died with him and we were buried with him. Our old life with all of its brokenness and sin was buried with Christ and he was resurrected and we were resurrected with him. And we come up out of the water, we go down in the water, we come up out of death with a new life. And this baptism expresses that publicly. And so today what we're going to have is individuals who are declaring publicly that that's what's taken place in my life. Now we baptize folks, uh, you know, I know there's some traditions in, in people's backgrounds that baptize as infants. We believe the scriptures teach this, that one must come to faith in Christ. And then that person actually is given a new life by the Holy Spirit and they are part of the kingdom of God. They are converted and become a child of God. And that can't take place for you without genuine faith being in your life. Repentance and faith are part of the conversion process in God. And that just doesn't happen when we're infants. And so we believe that once a person comes to faith and that conversion takes place, then baptism is the expression of that. And that's what you're going to get to witness today. So we've got four candidates in the tank there with the old man who is modeling our men's retreat 2017 shirt, doing an awesome job. Yeah. When he retires from here, he's going into modeling next. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. All right. Don't make us vomit. All right. <laughs> well, our first candidate is a lovely young lady. I met Ngozi is her first name. Her last name is Agbanaya. And she's not from around here with a name like Ngozi. I can't remember where she's from, though. Uh, I did get a chance to visit with her at an alpha table. She was saved in 2012 at a student Christian conference. She's been attending Lakeview since August of 2016. She is studying some brainiac thing, PhD in genetics, I believe it is, at Tulane. So she is a delightful young lady, and she is here to testify of her faith in Jesus. Nigeria. Nigeria. Thank you for remembering. Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, our next two candidates are married, Rob and Denise Schulte. Uh, Denise got saved at a women's retreat in 2011, and Rob was saved in the spring of 2013. And uh, these are this is just a, a delightful couple. You will love getting around them and hearing of their love for the Lord. But you get to hear Rob tell his story a little bit on his own. So here's Rob's testimony. 
Good morning, Lakeview Christian Center. What an exciting day for me and Denise and, and all our fellow Christians. For so many years, I've been trying to fill a void that I realized was in my life. In some ways, I thought I could socially fill this void with the busyness and notoriety of being a top cat. And also intellectually by taking different courses in philosophy at Delgado. One morning, it was the spring of 2014, I went to pick up my mail and there was Cliff, my mailman for 20 years. <laughs> Cliff! <laughs> Smiling as usual. Smiling as usual, he asked me how I was doing. I explained to him my difficulties and challenges in life. I blurted out something like, I think, therefore I am. And I thought I was so smart. Cliff stepped back and said with a grin, you might be interested in this course. He said, come by and have a salad, meet some wonderful people, and just listen to some thoughts concerning the meaning of life. Much to my surprise, I attended. I heard things about God, Christ, and me that I had never heard before. On the fourth week, it all made sense. It all made sense. At that moment, I began to cry. And that moment, through my tears, for the very first time, I handed my life over to the care of God. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, the Bible states, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, even me, Robert Schulte, would not perish but have eternal life. As I began my walk with God and my understanding of the Bible, God also gave me another gift, my beautiful wife, Denise. Denise and I could, not, could never stand here today by our own goodness and works, created by our own good works, that is, but we stand here today solely because of the grace and mercy of God given to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Pray. He might need some help. I tell you what, Robert, this is a joy. It really is. Yeah. It's a great joy because of the saving work of Jesus Christ in your life to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All the way down, This is Denise. Yeah. All right, Denise. Again, it's our great joy and our pleasure because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord that I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
this is kind of an historic moment because I, I don't know that I've ever heard Top Cats, Philosophy, and Delgado all mentioned in the same sentence. <laughs> staggering. <laughs> Our last candidate is Ms. Kayla Descant. She grew up here at Lakeview. Saved at 10 years old, and her dad is going to have the blessing of baptizing her. Kayla, because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right. What a joy. If, uh, on here. What is he doing? <laughs> Please turn the screen off. No. <laughs> uh, well, if you have not been baptized uh, since you have come to faith in Christ, uh, you'll hear us periodically just announce that we have a baptism class coming up. Uh, jump into that class. Be a part of proclaiming what God has done in your life. As you can see, it's a celebration because it's an it's a eternal event that we just witnessed. Those four names written in the Lamb's Book of Life forever in the presence of God. And so that's something to celebrate. All right, we're going to take a quick five-minute break for registration in small groups to take place and for registration in the men's retreat to take place and for you just to go out and find a name tag of somebody you don't know. Find a hard one like Ngozi and uh, go tell them hello. And we'll be back in five minutes. Hey, uh, kids, you are dismissed to children's ministry.
creation of man says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so man became a living soul. And that's what we are. And we, we do not live by bread alone or by natural oxygen alone, but by what proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, there's this striking encounter that, that Elijah experiences. There's this showdown that the, with the prophets of Baal that, that takes place in 1 Kings chapter 18. And then in, in, for some mysterious reason, that, that has no effect on all the people who've been opposing God. And, and he gets word that Jezebel, the, the wife of the, the king, wants to end his life. And she is stubborn and unrepentant, and, and, and Elijah is discouraged. And, and so he, he runs off, and, and God sends him to Mount Horeb, which as we've been studying through Exodus, that's the same mountain as Mount Sinai. And, and he sends several things his way, right? several things that are outwardly impressive, that, that would get your attention. And so there's, there's a wind that blows and splits mountains, and there's an earthquake, and there's fire. But the text says that God was not in those things. And then there comes something that, that's often translated a, a low whisper. But the emphasis isn't so much on the fact that it was quiet, but that it was a voice. It was the sound of God exhaling and speaking. God's word is his vocalized breath. And it is our life. And we need to take it in. So let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Our passage is going to change the metaphors on us, and hopefully that doesn't make us too dizzy. But uh, this is all about our spiritual intake from God's word, and he wants to help us see what life truly consists of. So 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll start reading in verse 22. He says, Having purified your souls... By your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Lord, as... Peter speaks of tasting of your goodness. 
it is clear that this is so much more than a transfer of information. This is an experience. This, this is an encounter. And it, yet it's one that I'm, I'm unable to create here. Nothing I say does this. Or you need to meet with us. And so God, would we be responsive? Would we be ready? Would we be listening to taste of your goodness and find it to be our delight? Because we need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Peter begins this section uh, by saying that in obeying the truth, we purified our souls. And he he uses that, that word there. It's talking about not what's on the outside, but that inward spiritual nature that you really have to, to be human is to have a body and it is to have a, a soul. And then he says that we've been born again. And so we, we need more than just a, a natural birth. As Eric prayed this earlier this morning, if you belong to God, you were dead. There were no vital signs no matter what the health charts read, and, and now you are alive. And listen, you didn't do that. God did that, right? And this is, this is important to be clear about. The start of the Christian life is not your activity. And that's important. You know, as we study through this series and when we talk about things and call to mind stuff that we're supposed to be about and we're supposed to, to be doing, that, that's not what has brought us into this. God and God alone awakens spiritual life and we are completely dependent on him. Do you, do you realize that the most important things in life are things that you are utterly incapable of producing? I was spending some time yesterday working in the yard and and in the garden, and and there's something weirdly rewarding about that because you kind of just get clear and instant results. You yank out those weeds, and they are gone. Now, they're only gone for a limited amount of time. Uh, They come back soon enough because this is a sinful and wicked world. Uh, (laughs) But at least you see something's happening here, but, but a lot of life is not like that. And I'm aware of that as, as a pastor, but, but, but you guys as well. In your parenting, you, you, can, you can control behavior in your kids for a season. Right? You're, you're, you're bigger than them. <laughs> you're, you're, you've got influence and, and power. You can put parameters in place. But the ability to create a real affectionate relationship with God, you cannot do that. God uses you in that process, but at the end of the day, there's nothing that you can do to produce that in them. Or in your marriage, seeking to motivate your your husband or your your wife to change, to to take interest in this relationship, to move toward you, to stop speaking in that way and and, and treat this like it matters. And maybe you, you, you feel powerless in an important sense you are. No matter what you do, you cannot change their heart. You cannot touch the the, the feature that's inside of us that compels us toward 
something and motivates us towards something. And just take that into all of your relationships. We, we can do what we can to try to motivate and manipulate the people in our lives, thinking that we can change things if we only nag them enough and put enough pressure on them to be different. And all the while, we can do that. And while we're doing that, neglect the only one who has the power to reroute the natural course of people's lives. So Peter says in verse 3 that God caused us to be born again to a living hope. And Peter loves that word living. He, he uses it seven times in this letter. This is a letter that's about vitality. And he attributes to the, this to the word of God. Look at Verse 23, we experience the new birth through the living and abiding word. God's word, it's living. It has the power to create life. Underneath all reality is the word of God. And we live in the visible realm. right? That's what we interact with every day. And so we think that it holds power and influence. We think that the stuff that we can see and touch what, what we can handle and schedule and, and explore on some sort of device. We, we think that that provides options and abilities for us. But we need our Bibles to remove the veil and help us see what's really go, going on here. To impart faith that sees beyond what only natural physical eyes can perceive. And so Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what was made was not made out of things that are visible. The, the entire universe came into existence by something that is unseen. When, when you reach the absolute limits of space and time, there are words. There you find the word of God. That's what sustains everything. Underneath all reality is divine permission. It is God saying, be. And you and I are here. Because he gives us permission to be. And Peter is saying here, if you're spiritually alive, it is because there, there, was, there was a moment in time when God said, be. He, he begat us by his word. We heard it and he used that to awaken our hearts. And Psalm 19 verse 7 says, the law of the Lord, he's talking about scripture, is perfect reviving the soul. It quickens us. It is a defibrillator charged to the heart, and, and it continues to have a reviving effect on us, stirring what is dormant and, and warming what has grown cold. And, and this is part of a larger argument for Peter. He's, he's ramping up. He's seeking to direct us to hunger for and receive this word, but he, he first wants to make clear its value. And so he says in verse 24, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And, and flesh is, is who we are naturally. It's our existence in the natural realm. That, 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 that's our bodies, and, and that's what we can produce and affect in the natural 
order. And he says that that withers like the grass. You exercise all you want, and you should. You get the best health care that you can find. Lather on all the essential oils that your budget allows for. But at the end of the day, your body will wither. And he says, all its glory. And this is the perceived success, attraction, beauty, fame, and entertainment of human achievement. And it will fade away into irrelevance. Last year, several social media platforms introduced live stories, which is basically a way that you can upload a video and it can stream into to people's feed live on, on Instagram and Facebook and Periscope and a dozen other sources. They're all just trying to mimic each other now, so they're, they're kind of making each other irrelevant here. But uh, they're, they're called live posts, but they, they kind of have a, a short lifespan because on several of the platforms after 24 hours, the video uh, is deleted. And listen, so much of life is like that. It has an expiration date that approaches so quickly. And yet that doesn't stop us from giving it our attention, in part because it's so ephemeral. We, we, we pull out our phones because we're searching for something interesting, something informing, something that will connect us. And, and entertain us. And the last time we checked it has already faded away. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And what is gained from it has a permanence that you will not find anywhere else. And Peter says that to be born again means to be born of imperishable seed. There, there's an eternity, a real eternity that awaits us and you and I will live forever. Listen, we will outlast the sun and all the stars in the sky and yet so much of what we have pursued and run after in this life will not come with us. It will be blown away in the wind like chaff because it was dry and hollow. But what you have gained from this book, what you have received from God, it will be taken with you to be enjoyed for the next 10 billion years and beyond. And so Peter's helping us see this. He, he wants us to feel this because he's directing us toward this exhortation. Verse 2, becoming alive to God, it's a kind of birth and, and newborns must breathe and they must feed. And so he says in verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. When a baby's born, there's really only one thing that it wants and that it needs. And it's not a Starbucks gift card. It's, it's not a subscription to Netflix. Uh, that baby needs milk and it needs it right Away, Breast milk has all the nutrients and, and vitamins and antibodies that a newborn needs. That stuff is liquid gold. And, and, and Peter tells us to long for spiritual milk, what he calls spiritual milk, in, in that same way. What does he mean by that? 
Well, obviously, that's not physical milk. That's not going to do it for us, what he's, he's talking about here. But the, but the word for, for spiritual here, it's logikos. We get our word logical from that. It's, it's, it's rational. There, there are words to want. And in context here, it's obvious he's talking about the milk of the word of God. It's this book. And he's not trying to make the point that, that they're new believers. He's not calling them infants in the faith. You could have been saved for 20 or 30 years. And you still need this every day. He's saying that in the same way, with the same eagerness and desperate necessity that an infant craves milk, we are to crave God's word. And, and this is interesting. God commands for us to long for him here. And there's something counterintuitive about that. For, for us to desire to meet with him in scripture, he commands that. As John Piper has, has put it, this, this is not spiritual fatalism. You know, sometimes we think that we're, we're just stuck where we are. If we find in ourselves there's not much desire, there's not a lot of pursuit of God that, that's happening inside of us, then, then we think it's just inevitable for us to stay there. You know, other people, you know, they've got the kind of strong passion for, for God thing going on, but that's just, that's just not really been me. And so we, we sit by discouraged and passive waiting for that to change. But, but isn't it striking that God commands for us to long for him. And, and this is good news for this year. If all you have known is lukewarm pursuit of God, of, of, of a temporary passion that just fizzles out and you know, another year turns around and you realize, oh, I just really want to be about that. And it is short-lived. Listen, it doesn't have to be that way. But don't take that as inevitable, that that's just something for other people to experience. Well, what do you do here? Well, Peter's saying, desire him, or at least want to want him. And then you might find that you really begin to want him. But listen, we are never neutral. We will always be captured by some Craving and, and, and cravings call the shots. I've got several pregnant women in here. Y'all know this, right? Sometimes that baby just calls the shots. <laughs> uh, I don't know that my wife's experienced too many cravings with this pregnancy, but I think I have. Like, you know, I just need spinach and artichoke dip right now. And I'm, I'm compelled. I'm, I'm motivated. I'm going to do what it takes to make sure that arrives. But, but, but you will be controlled by something. And notice there's more to the sentence here, back, back at verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, that, that's translated as, as two sentences there, but, it, but it's really one sentence. He's saying, putting away that stuff... Long for God's word instead. You will either be under the influence of who God is and what he has revealed, or you will be shaped by things like discontent. 
uses the word envy there. You'll be caught up in comparison. You'll be aware of what other people have, what they have going on for them, either the stuff that they have or the, the, the relationships and family that they have, the personality that they have. And the, there's always this comparison thing going on. And so rather than just enjoying life and being there in a situation, you're playing these mental games and it's like it's never enough for you. Right? That, 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 that's what comes, as Pastor Keith said last week, from Psalm 73, that's what comes from being disconnected from who God is. If he's distant, if the riches of what I have in him, if, if they're not on my mind, if they're not the object of my desire, something else is going to insert in its place and it's not going to satisfy, which means I'm always going to be wanting. I'm going to be discontent. I'll be disappointed by what life has brought or, or, or controlled by something like dishonesty. He uses the words deceit and hypocrisy. The, the, he's talking about insincerity. It's like you're, you're always after something in, in how you relate to people. You're not just there to be genuine and, and serve. There, there's an agenda that you're working in because you're trying to get something from them. You're trying to get them to tell you that you're significant or that you matter. And so you're working the game and, and, and you might be flattering them and it might even look like love. It might look like serving, but it's not the sincere love that Peter talks about here or hypocrisy. Right? There's an outward show that you've got it all together. And, and I think in some ways, and we're not, we're not trying to pick on this in this series, but because I, you know, personally, I value this. I value things like productivity and to-do lists and managing a calendar well. And we live in a culture that's about that and defines health in those terms. But, and that's important, right? Believers need to manage life according to how God has given us his priorities. But sometimes... That can be about feeling good on the outside. Like, my life is managed. It's orderly. It's together. My, my closets are organized. I'm in good health. I eat right. And on the inside, your soul can be suffocating. And rather than address that, you choose safety in hiding. You minimize. You don't bring anybody else into what's going on there. Right, you're, you're running as far away as you can from the whole concept of sit down and meet with somebody and talk about this because you have retreated to dishonesty rather than allowing the alarm to recognize, I need to take something in here. This is obviously not meeting what I need. And then there's disdain, malice, and slander holding people in contempt, hostility. Do you find yourself, and you might actually use these words, there are certain people that you just hate. There's anger, there is resentment because they've harmed you in some way, they, they've, they've touched something in life that's a craving 
that you value, that you go to again and again. And that's, that's life, that's security. And they've messed with that. And so you find malice coming off. Well, what is that, right? That, 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 that's something uh, that, the, that the detector telling you there's a problem here. I've given my cravings to other things. And so you, you make use of other weapons like gossip and slander. And what can I do to just kind of, pe- people hold them on this level. Well, have you heard of what's really going on there? And that makes me feel good, right? It might not change my circumstances, but if I could just lower them a little bit in people's estimation, I think that's going to get me what I want. And it never delivers. C.S. Lewis says, all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. It is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Why do we go to these things? We're looking for joy. We're we're looking for some sort of explanation for life. Why does it feel this way? Some satisfaction. And it will prove elusive. Those cravings will never be satisfied. But blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's the promise here. So do you wake up hungry? I, I didn't used to be much of a breakfast eater until actually I started exercising a couple of years ago and, and just doing a basic little weight routine. And then, then breakfast became a different, different thing for me then, you know, and I, I would do my whey protein smoothie and I start to crave that, right? You do, do a workout and then th- 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 there's a sense of need that I, that's what I go to. I realize I need to meet this, this craving. And, and in the morning, you step out of bed and you plant your feet on the ground and you take in life. And you are searching for something that's going to help you in that moment. And, and what you'll do is you'll just suck in the thing that is nearest to you. And this, this is a ready temptation for me. When, when I wake up in the morning, all kinds of doubts and anxieties enter my mind. There's an invasion of my limited perspective and small ideas. And, and I need something that's going to displace them. I, I need to be fed. I, I need to think about truth and delight in God. I, I need confidence in him. And if you lack confidence, if you're, if you're prone to, to fear and doubt and anxiety, it's probably because your own thoughts only ever get your attention. And your thoughts are not very impressive. J.I. Packer says, disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. Now that could be true of the the trajectory of your life, but that could be true of your week. 
That can be true of your day. You, you can enter it stumbling and blindfolded. When, when God has provided sight, when, when God has graciously thrown open the windows into his glory, he has cast his light into all the dark and stuffy places of your world. Why would you want to enter the day disoriented and confused? I'm not saying that the only time to read the Bible is in the morning. You know, we'll talk about what healthy receiving looks like in a moment. But, but I will say this, you do need something at the start of your day, some sort of conversation between your soul and your God that informs and shapes you. George Mueller would say this, and this is a man who, over the course of his life, he cared for over 10,000 orphans. And uh, he traveled to, I think, 42 different countries as, as a missionary. Um, and he did all of this without ever directly asking for, for money. He never went into debt. God provided, God met, met them there. And all the while, he was, he was preaching three times a week. And he was running other organizations as well. And we, we think we're busy today. But he said this, I make it my business every morning to get my soul happy in God. And that's what we need. Let's talk about healthy receiving. James has a parallel passage in James chapter 1. Verse 21, he says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And what are you going to do instead of that? Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And so the, the word's implanted. It's, it's inside of you. It's what's given you new life. It's able to save your soul. And yet he says that that needs to be received again and again. You can think of it like this. We, we have this expression that when, when somebody dies, that there's no breath in them. Because part of being alive is to have breath, is to have your, your lungs active and engaging the, the breathing process, but we still need to inhale and exhale over and over again, and that's what he says here. And so what is your practice of receiving God's word, of taking it in, of turning aside to meet with him? And that's one of the things that, you know, our, our spiritual health Questionnaire is designed to, to help you think through just the different categories for that. And if you didn't catch with what's going on there, we, we've posted, there's on the website, and we, we've sent it out through email, and we'll do it again. Just a series of questions, not too lengthy, but just to, to help you sit down and just take in, well, what are the conditions of soul for me right now? And, and, and that's there to, to help you assess those things, but, but it's also there to maybe introduce you to some categories that, that you haven't really considered before, you know, it, it asks you to assess your, your reading and study patterns. How often do you, do you sit down with your Bible open? How, how do you make use of resources and, and, and books that will engage your mind and, and give you big and, and rich things to think about God? And it was the last time you, you read a book in high school 
or 30% of that book that your small group leader assigned last year. So it just invites you to, to consider that. And for some of us, it's like, oh yeah, that, that, that's a category for intake, for receiving from God. What does it look like for you to, to pursue the preaching and the teaching of God's word? Do you prepare for those settings? Are you attentive? Is it consistent for you? Did you come this morning ready to breathe in the grace of God? So sit down, take that questionnaire, if you, if you haven't done it yet, because it, it'll just help you think through those things and maybe introduce you to some things you haven't practiced yet. But, but today, I just want to focus on two practices in particular, which are scripture reading and meditation. And for, so first, scripture reading. Uh, Bill quoted earlier from David Mathis' book, Habits of Grace. And he says, at the end of the day, there is simply no replacement for finding a regular time and place, blocking out distractions, putting your nose in the text, and letting your mind and heart be led and captured and thrilled by God himself, communicating to us in his objective written Words, And that's what the Bible is. God has given us a book. We get his thoughts. He hasn't stayed hidden. He has disclosed himself. And, and normal Christianity is that we would visit with this regularly, day by day, that we would be reading through it and, and reading for breadth with a D there. Uh, and so reading through all of Scripture, getting, getting a sense of its, of its storyline, of how it centers on, on Jesus. You know, he says in this passage that this word is, is the word that was preached to you. So we should be raising questions like, well, what is this? How is this helping me see the storyline? How is it helping me see the gospel here? But there's just no replacement for, for reading this book. And maybe that's something you've never done, where you've never actually read through the entire Bible. I just encourage you, make that a goal. Right? Don't, don't settle for less. There, there's, there's no reason why that isn't something that we, we're not able to do. Right? And actually, if you, there's, there's nothing magical about reading through the Bible in a year. You don't have to do that. You could do it in two years. You could do it in five uh, honestly, if, if you just read for about 15 minutes a day, you can read the Bible in a year. But what this is going to take for us, for that to be regular, is, is some sort of plan. And you need to, to come up with this. this. This can't necessarily be assigned. And so as you think through the vital signs, as you sit down with that questionnaire, what is my plan? Do I have a plan? Do I, do I just wait for the random moment where I realize, yep, that's something I'm supposed to be doing? Or, 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 or is there, do I know what I'm going to read? And there are several Bible reading plans that, that are helpful, that you know, allow you to do different things. You can read through the Bible cover to cover. You can, you can read through the Gospels. You can read through the Bible chronologically. You could read through Psalms and Proverbs. And so we're not trying to sign that for anybody, but feel free to talk to us. If you, if you want some help and direction as to what's going to work for you. But, but plan ahead, right? It, 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 it's... it's it's not going to be successful if you have day by day or, you know, once or twice a month have this sense of what should I read today, right? That's not going to go very far and it's not going to be fruitful. So, so plan, what am I going to read? 
And when am I going to do it? Right? Pick, pick an intentional time and place that, that, is, that is consistent, that's likely for you to actually do that. <laughs> uh, some people, that's in the morning. Some people, that's in the evening. Maybe that's on your lunch break. But, but, but pick a place and tell somebody else, hey, this is, this is my plan. And, and, and uh, sit down and open up the Bible and let your heart be enthralled with the Lord. Start today. If you've not done this this year, start today. And do it every day for two weeks. To say, I'm going to make sure I'm not going to miss a day of reading God's word for two weeks. And, and, and you'll be surprised. Habits begin to form. And if you miss a day, you know, the, the, the important thing isn't trying to slavishly catch up to some artificial plan. Uh, it's not the date. It's not the assignment that matters. It's just, am I interacting with God in his word? So reading through the Bible. And, and, then, and then scripture meditation, which is just, I'm just using that word broadly for everything that applies with, with engaging with this deeply. You read for breadth and you read for depth. And, and, and part of that is reading and rereading. Ephesians 3 verse 4 says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. That's amazing. Right, through, through this act of reading, you, you, you learn, if you're in kindergarten or preschool, I hope, at some point you learn to read, which, which you know, if you just study the history of the Western world, it, the literacy and the availability of Scripture coincide with that. It, it's, really the, it's really the Christian movement that has advanced the cause of literacy because they recognize people need to read. Because God's made his thoughts available to us in a book. There are words that if you, if you learn language, if you learn how to read, you can get this. That's what Paul says here. But it might be that perceiving the mystery of Christ, that might take more than one reading <laughs> to do. A pastor named James Gray lived at the tail end of the 19th century. He told this story about a Christian man that he met and uh, got to know, and he just was around him, and he, he noticed the ways that he would interact with people and just how gracious and patient and wise and loving he was toward people, winsome. And he asked him, uh, so where'd you learn how to do that? And the man said, by reading the book of Ephesians. And what he come to find out is that that wasn't just like, all right, I read that and checked that off the list and maybe I'll return to that in 10 years. He sat down and he read the book of Ephesians in one sitting. And then he did that again and again and again over the course of a few days. He read the book of Ephesians 20 times. And he said, by then, I possessed it. Or rather, it possessed me. There, there, there's an ownership that comes. And so uh, that's just a, a good practice to do every now and then. Just pick a book of the Bible and read it five to ten times. 
Read that book. If it's a shorter book, read that book every day of the week if you can. And I've sought to do that if I'm approaching a time of, of preaching, just reading and reading and reading. And, and I'm just amazed. You know, it could be time 12 or 13, and there is something that I just never noticed. There's something that clicks, something in, in, the, in the text or something in my heart that it, it just took grinding it in there over and over again for it to work. And so... Reading and rereading, and then thinking. Second Timothy 2, verse 7. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. All right? There's a relationship there between our effort. You do that. Engage your mind. Be at work. And God does it. God grants understanding, but he's not necessarily promised to grant understanding without the thinking. And so, if you just casually engage this book and it's not been a meaningful experience, is, is the problem this? Or is the problem that I, I glanced at it and I, I never engaged in a way that reflects its value and its worth? And I know this. We, we're, we're an ADD culture. We don't know how to think, right? We, we, we take the 30-second the soundbite version. We are, we are influenced. I mean, it's just amazing how, how many cultural ideas and politics are influenced by a, a, a picture with white block letters on top of it. We are a meme generation. And that, that, that changes, that really affects how people think today. And that's very concerning. Uh, but but in, in a world that doesn't know how to think, let's be people who know how to engage God's ideas. And he says this, really striking, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Timothy, remember that Jesus guy. Uh, how could he forget him, you know? But we do. We forget. We, we forget his significance. We forget his value. We, we, we forget the importance and the worth for our lives. And so run it through your mind. Don't forget. Timothy Keller's book on, on prayer is, it's got a lot of helpful material on, on, on just how do you engage meditation? What, what kinds of questions do you ask as you, as you think about the passage and you connect it to your life? Let me just give you one question that if you just take that, this, 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 will, this will produce meditation and thinking in this, in this category. Just ask, what difference does this make? If this were not true, or if you're, if you're reading about justification by faith, what difference does it make? What if it were false? What, what, what if my standing and my acceptance before God were dependent on my performance and how I'm doing and how morally put together I am. Right? How tragic and concerning that would be. And yet we, we, in thinking through that, we get to enjoy the benefit of I am accepted in Christ because of what he's done. And there's something richly to be enjoyed in that. And then memorizing scripture 
David Mathis says, good theology forms our minds in a general way to think God's thoughts after him, but memorized scripture molds our minds with as much specificity as is humanly possible to mimic the folds and creases in the mind of God. And that is, that's remarkable. And I want that. He, he makes this point, and, and, and that book is, is another great resource to, to pursue at this time of the year. But Memorizing scripture, it's not so much about like having this, this giant storehouse that you run over and try to, you know, 20 years later, make sure those are still memorized. I mean, you should do that. That's a good practice. But he says, what if memorizing scripture is about today? What if the act of hiding God's word in my heart, it does something in me today? Even if I don't remember that verse 10 years from now, it had its, its effect. And so I encourage you to pursue that. And then Peter talks about healthy growing here, that we are to read God's word with obedience. He says that, that we purified our souls by our obedience to the truth. And, and if, you're, if you're in a place where you're feeling like you're, you're not really hearing from God, that not a lot's going on for you spiritually, that, that could be a couple of things happening there. And, you know, depending on what I know of you, if you came seeking counsel about that, right? Maybe you just need to be encouraged to press in. You just need realistic expectations. You, you need to understand the realities of life and the ebbs and flows of our, our spiritual hunger, right? That, 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 that comes into play. But, but for some of us, maybe you need to be told to stop embracing sin, and unclog your ears and let God speak to you. Because if our soul has grown dull, if our hearts have embraced idols and we've made practice of sin, why would we assume that this would be an insightful experience for us when our attention and our allegiance has been given somewhere else and God knows, I could reveal that to you, but what are you even gonna do with that? Are you going to treat it like it's optional? Thomas Watson says, take every word as spoken to yourselves. When the word thunders against sin, think thus, God means my sins. When it presses any duty, God intends me in this. Many put off scripture from themselves as if it only concerned those who lived in the time when it was written. But if you intend to profit by the word, Bring it home to yourselves. A medicine will do no good unless it is applied. Now, I'm not going to major in that today because in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about exhaling. We're going to talk about, all right, when you take this in, what comes out? What kinds of practices and, 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 and healthy living should be showing up in, in your life as you obey what God, God's word calls you to do? But, but the important thing to see here is this, this does influence how we receive as well. It's, 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 a, it's both ways. And so part of taking in God's word is, is giving it place in our home, in our heart, not trying to escape what it addresses there. Peter says that by this we may grow. And we want to grow. How does that happen? Uh, that can seem mysterious sometimes. But how, does, how does change take place over time? How do some people seem to grow and others kind of feel stalled out where they are? Then there's, there's an element of mystery to that. But in another way, 
it's not really all that mysterious. Read your Bible and obey it, and you will grow. All right, finally, for us this morning, he says in verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And tasting is an experienced reality. You guys know there's a, there's a big difference between reading about a recipe in a cookbook and tasting a meal. And God wants us to encounter him. And this is what is richly available to us. The word puts us in contact with God with satisfaction in him. We're not just here to add facts to our minds. We're here to be astonished, to be affected. We're here to encounter him, and he he promises to do that. As we're faithful to pursue him, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Wayne Grudem says, Peter is assuming that the words of Scripture are the words of the Lord. So to read or listen to Scripture is to hear the Lord speak, to take His good and nourishing words into one's heart. To drink the milk of the Word is to taste again and again what He is like. For in hearing of the Lord's words, believers experience the joy of personal fellowship with the Lord Himself. And God loves to do this. He loves for you to know what does his goodness taste like. Eric, you can go ahead and come back up, man. Psalm 34, Peter is is quoting from that where it says to taste and see that the Lord is good. And, And I encourage you to go back and read that at some point this week. Psalm 34, verse 1 through 10 and, and that, that's, that's something to meditate on. That's something to think through because it shows you if I'm near to God and, and if I'm directing my hunger and my cravings toward him, well, what difference does that make in my life? And it makes, it makes a big difference in that psalm. And you take your life and you take your experiences and you put it in that text and you see where, where is this showing up for me or not? And why? But it's interesting how Peter puts it here. He says, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. He he doesn't say, taste and see in the way Psalm 34 does. And I don't know for sure why. But he he had just said in in chapter 1, he said, though you have not seen him, you love him though you do have not now seen for seen him you wait for him with longing and inexpressible joy and listen everything that we are talking about in this series it, it requires faith it takes faith that sees beyond just what these eyes can recognize right now to open up this book and recognize i'm not just interacting with words and ink i'm not just talking to the ceiling. There's a real God. He really cares. He really sees. And though though I've not yet seen him yet with these eyes, and one day I will, I've still tasted his goodness. And I want to take it in again and again. I 
I want to experience every benefit that he has intended for that to be. Because I can't live without it. I want to go through life gasping and desperate and clinging to whatever I can pick up here and now because I know I need something, but I am neglecting what was designed to be that for me. And this is the faith that Peter describes. He says in verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone, there's that word again, right? Stones don't live, naturally speaking, but this one does. Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You come to him. It's that word for drawing near in, in Scripture. And, and you come to what the world does not value and does not applaud and does not create time for you. If, if, you're, just, if you're just waiting for the natural course of your life and schedule and what you are involved in, to provide for you the space to do this, it will never happen. But this is a world system that looks at Jesus and says, yeah, he's common. He's unimpressive. He's to be rejected. And God awakens faith in our hearts that looks beyond what merely these eyes can see. And we see he's precious. He's worthy. And I want to draw near to him. Let's stand together. I want to close by praying for us this morning in, in two categories. One, I want to pray for our experience. Because I, I trust that as we are doers of God's word, there, there's something that's been stirred in you that either is going to lead you to continue what you've been doing if there's been a healthy practice here or to make a change and to make a change today. So I want to pray for your encounter. I want to pray that this will be a fruitful time for you. It'll be a time not just of taking in ideas but tasting and breathing. But there's another category of people that maybe, maybe you've never tasted. You know about God as a concept, but you don't know the experienced reality of his kindness. You don't know forgiveness of sin coming in contact with you. You, you don't know what it's like to be an object of mercy, to be overwhelmed by that. P Peter talks about here the word that was preached to you. He's talking about the message of the gospel, and, and this is not just a book of fortune cookies and strung together ideas. Everything in this book, it's about being reconciled to God. It's about God being on the move. And we have made ourselves the center of our world, and we have chased after cravings and formed them into idols. God has come to rescue us. And he did that by sending Jesus to live a perfect life and to die, to die a death that, outwardly speaking, was humiliating and looked like a complete failure. But behind that was the word of God. Behind that, God was on the move.
and he was accomplishing salvation and forgiveness so that by faith, we inhale, we breathe in the goodness of God. And it's that word receive. God makes you alive and then you breathe. And it's not what you're doing that causes that to happen, right? That's what Rob said earlier. I'm so thankful that I'm standing here and I'm not running through, thinking through, okay, have I been good enough? Have I been religious enough? Whatever that is. It's God has been merciful. And I have received. So I'm going to pray in a moment. I'm going to pray in both of those categories. But maybe there are some of us here that right now you have a sense. God is moving on me to make me alive. And I don't want to turn away from that. Can I invite you to take a breath? Can I invite you to place your trust and your faith in him? And if that's you, if, if you would just raise your hand where you are as an expression of faith toward God and saying, I'm, I'm coming to you. God, it is clear, and we know this. We know this because we are human and we are your creatures, that we need you. You did not make us independent. And, and Lord, I trust it was your wisdom just in, in designing our natural bodies, Lord, to make us not self-sufficient. We, we don't just get to live without breathing or without eating, without taking in something from the outside of us into us. Because you're helping us see we need you. We don't want to live life in our, in our functional atheism, thinking we can just exist in a vacuum and not suffocate. We need you. And we want to receive from you, God. And so, God, would you awaken faith, Lord, Lord faith to move toward what, what, naturally speaking, we might not have much motivation a reason to pursue, but we've been made alive and we know your value. So God, whether it's for the first time this morning and you are helping us to understand, you are awakening our hearts to you to receive, Lord, we turn to you. But Lord, this week as we turn aside and we sit down and we allow your thoughts and your perspective and your revelation to eclipse what is cloudy and distracted in our minds. Lord, would that be fruitful? Would we experience you and hear from you? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Don't forget about the newcomer's lunch. Upstairs, room 204 for anybody who hasn't joined us for one of those before. You guys, be blessed this week.